Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So we actually didn't record this part originally, but now we're going to throw it on there because the news came down during the day today after we had recorded that Kyrie Irving will miss the remainder of the season and the playoffs. Now a projected recovery time of four to five months. He will undergo a procedure to remove two screws implanted in his left patella after the patella fracture he suffered during the NBA Finals in 2015. This is reading the Celtics statement here. And he had this procedure in March to remove a tension wire and and at that point, it was revealed that the screws had an infection at that site. And that was part of why he was having so difficulties. So they're going to have to remove these screws now. And the good news, because there always has to be some good news in these press releases. Although, remember, the last good news was that it was minimally invasive. Uh, the good news is that there's no issue with the fracture in his patella. I guess that would mean that he doesn't need the screws anymore. That was there to help it heal initially. And the knee remains structurally sound. So four to five months is the timeline. So we're talking about even and something that could bleed into training camp but you have to imagine be ready to start next year but he could be limited at the start of training camp as well not going to really be able to train the way he usually would in the off season but just start with what this means for these playoffs it was always looking pretty grim with that three to six week timeline and having someone come back from surgery but now i mean the the celtics chances i think of getting at least to the east finals i don't think they ever felt that great about getting to the i mean i guess if they had home court maybe they felt like they could have won a, a series against cleveland i i disagree but in any event now it's looking pretty grim for them it is and this is dispiriting in the near term just because Kyrie has been so good this year and we have i have no idea how long he's been dealing with this kind of thing i mean with the bacterial infection maybe he'll talk about that at some point maybe he won't that's the nature of these sorts well, of injuries don't, and don't media availability that be a hipaa violation <laughs> well no i'm saying whether he would yeah whether no no, he no, would no. Talk I, about I, that just, would not be a hipaa violation i just wanted to make that joke to, to, <laughs> Don't, don't actually yeah. like good it's not going to hold up to any kind of scrutiny or accuracy here come on yeah. in other ways we try to <laughs> but the but so it is it is disappointing and kp wrote a good piece today for insider talking about what this means for the celtics that they will still be competitive and he thinks they'll be favored in their first round series i'm a little bit more skeptical about it because they can't really ratchet up the minutes as much for their best guys because two of their best players are, are injured and we don't know what's happening with marcus smart they still execute as a team they still defend well enough and they'll defend probably better now than they did before with terry rosier in the starting lineup depending on what happens with marcus smart but their offense is going to be really inconsistent and remember that kyrie irving has been such a central part of a lot of their clutch success especially in, through most of the year they've still been they've still played a lot of good games without him but as things ratchet up as you know teams play their best players a lot a much higher proportion of the game they will certainly be in that series i'm gonna wait until i see who they're playing to say whether they're favored or not but the other silver lining is this was never to me going to be their 
entire season next year, maybe the year after. And who knows? They have enough assets. They could trade for somebody even better than the guys they have right now or development of Tatum and Brown and all that. So getting those guys experience and they're going to have the ball in their hands a whole heck of a lot now that maybe that'll be valuable moving forward. I don't exactly know, but I think there are things that they will be able to take away from this that they couldn't have before. Yeah, certainly they'll have a lot of confidence as an organization. Brad Stevens' star has risen even further. They're not going to have cap space in the foreseeable future, but as a place where a star player might want to go and sign an extension, that's good. I mean, the bad news is with Kyrie not really going to be able to work on his game too much. This is now will be the second offseason that he'll have essentially missed due to this knee issue. And hopefully that won't be something that affects his career going forward. And then as far as the playoffs, yeah, I, I could easily see them being favored depending on, on who they play because their defense is going to be awesome. Their defense is even better without Kyrie. I and mean, they clearly have, if not the best, probably the second best defense in the NBA behind the Jazz. Maybe if the Warriors can get to that level, if they really ratchet it up to postseason intensity. But I expect that anyone who plays them other than Cleveland is going to have trouble scoring uh, and you know that's enough where you can make it a rock fight the, the Celtics certainly will have trouble scoring themselves as well but if you get down to the end it, you got Brad Stevens as your coach they've been solid in clutch games this year so I, I would give them a fighting chance and they'll have the home court uh, in the first two rounds of the playoffs so they also are going to sign Jonathan Gibson a, a microwave type score I think he's 29 now played for the Mavs at, at times last year has been a big scorer in China just a, a short fill it up type of guard I think they could use that sort of a player to come in on their bench units and just jack up some shots. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to end up playing. We'll see. But, you know, Shane Larkin has been missing a lot of time here and there, too. So they just need someone else who can come in and handle the ball and maybe create some shots for them. Uh, Let's do a quick catch up uh, on the playoff rates with uh, today's happenings now. Your scores, Indiana destroyed the Warriors by 20 in a game that was not competitive in the second half. Cleveland came down from a 16-point deficit with six minutes remaining to stun Washington, which had run the ball down their throats, and then Washington all of a sudden couldn't score as soon as Cleveland was able to keep it in the half court, and Washington was kind of trying to run the time down. Portland, without Dame Lillard, lost to Houston by two. Houston dominated that game, and then a 17-0 Portland run to tie it by their reserves was broken by Chris Paul hitting a game winner brooklyn another stunner beating milwaukee uh, brooklyn went 19 out of 38 uh, on three-pointers while milwaukee was horrendous uh, on threes utah put a big dent in the clippers hopes they still have a little bit of a chance because they still play denver and new orleans a couple of teams ahead of them and then denver in what was a, a total slugfest beat minnesota by four in the nightcap uh, on tnt great game carl anthony towns falling out late on what i actually i reacted initially as a bad call but ended up seeing the replay it looked like like a good call and minnesota giving up offensive rebounds on their final three defensive possessions of the game to lose that one so with all that now in the books what does the playoff picture look like here we'll start with the east one and two is pretty well settled and while i'm sure sixers fans aren't happy with the the wizards blowing that lead it really doesn't change the three four dynamic too much what it really does is that in order to get the three what the sixers need to do to lock it in is beat cleveland in their game on i believe that's saturday and then win out so that's where it did really didn't give them a margin before they could have maybe lost one game probably to the bucks on the last day of the season and still held it now they basically have to win out because cleveland's two games after that are against the knicks and we expect them to win that by a mile right now miami has a one game lead on the bucks and the wizards for the last spot and i believe that they have the tiebreaker yeah, not the last well. spot the six so spot, you mean. sorry the six spot though yeah the, the, the six spot and 
there are differing perspectives on whether on, on how good a thing that is, obviously. And then the Bucks and Wizards then are tied for the last spot. Both of them have basically two games against tanking teams and one game against a competitive team, though how competitive those games are is just an open question. We don't know at this point. And so generally speaking, I would assume that that's going to be the way going to be the way it works out because Miami is is ahead and has the tiebreaker in the West. It's just one more thing on the East. It's always complicated. Uh, Sure. I mean, the Sixers now, you know, it's going to be tough for them. We don't know when Embiid is going to be back. If we knew Embiid were going to be healthy, you could make the argument that seven and eight is pricier real estate than five and six. But the Sixers are probably a team you would almost certainly rather play than the Raptors now with Embiid in question. And you don't know what kind of shape he's going to be able to be in after that surgery either. Um, But certainly everyone's going to want to avoid the Cavaliers, the Celtics. So would you rather play the Celtics or the Sixers in the first round if Embiid were going to miss at least part of that series? I think I would rather play the Celtics just because they have to figure all this stuff out and they're not getting their best guy back. Getting, you know, having Embiid for theoretically five, six, and seven, I think I think that swings it for me. But it is certainly a close call. But it should also be mentioned that while the Celtics have won a, a batch of games without Kyrie, the Sixers have played yeah. better the last, I mean, they've, they've been they've been even better than the Celtics during that run. So yeah, I would go Philly and it's it is certainly a close call, but that's the call I would make. All right, let's turn out of the West. Oh, goodness. So I think the biggest impact of today for me is that Utah has an even stronger hold on the on the four seed. They, theoretically, you know, they still do play Portland in that last game. If Portland struggles and, and Utah keeps winning, maybe that ends up having some importance. I do not know the tiebreaker between those two teams, but I still, my baseline assumption is that Portland will get three. And if Utah plays well, they can win the four and maybe move up. Minnesota falling back is, is certainly a challenge for them. All of these teams effectively control their own destiny partially because they play each other a fair amount so it makes the path harder for minnesota it also makes it more likely that if they make it in they get a lower seed and that potentially could mean playing the rockets or the warriors which is absolutely not what they want and we will get clarification on this pretty soon because a lot of these teams their definition like their key defining games will happen in the next couple days so san antonio they they have sacramento as the middle game but they play portland and then new orleans on the last game of the season okc's tough game are their next two at Houston at Miami and then New Orleans is probably the one that's delayed I don't think the game against the Warriors is going to be as big a deal now and they actually could be the biggest beneficiary of what happened to the Clippers because while the Clippers play the Nuggets in their next game and will probably still be trying because they have an outside chance they might be out of it by the time they play New Orleans so maybe New Orleans kind of gets gets to play both sides of that they get Denver to have a real challenging game and then they get the advantage themselves a couple days later couple notes uh, on the injury Dame Lillard. Terry Stott says he expects him to play at least a little bit before the playoffs. That's not incredibly encouraging. So uh, with Portland's next game in San Antonio uh, on this road trip, you'd have to imagine Lillard is probably not going to play in that one. That could be huge for uh, San Antonio. You might have to favor Portland in that game if Dame were healthy. And then the Wolves, Jimmy Butler was apparently cleared to play tonight, but had not been cleared to play in back-to-backs. And so you'd imagine he'll make his re-debut tomorrow against the Lakers for the Wolves. And him being back could change things. We'll see how many minutes he's going to play. Obviously, that, that'll that be part of it too. Yeah, it, it could have changed things tonight. Yeah. Like, if 
if theoretically the choice were we can only play Jimmy Butler in one of these two games as a use of resources Denver abs- or sorry Minnesota absolutely should have played him at Denver as opposed to playing him at the Lakers yes the Lakers are feisty and it's possible the doctor said another day of rest will help and that it was the decision was made on a different basis but if that's what it was whew, whew. yeah it's also first game back in the altitude I mean it's going to be tough to be effective with the adrenaline pumping there so I mean, we don't really know I don't feel comfortable criticizing that decision I don't think we know enough about that right of course yet uh all right we'll bring you back to your regularly scheduled programming uh, previously recorded starting right now all right, one thing that we want to get back to here now is talking about all of the young prospects for this season. So going to get a start today on the Northwest Division, see how much we can finish up here in the allotted time. So why don't we get right to it with uh, the Denver Nuggets, a, a team that has been playing better of late, 43 and 35 as we record this on Wednesday five and three since the last 15 and 60 but some nice wins uh, lately their 1.4 net rating is 12th in the nba they sport the sixth ranked offense and the 21st ranked defense as of right now they're given 40 percent playoff odds though that could change slightly of course with tonight's games a projected finish with 45 wins go two and two down the stretch but the good news for the nuggets with paul Millsap having missed so much time though he's starting to play a little bit better lately in this last push they've had is that getting an above 500 team when the whole core of their team essentially is 23 or under yeah i mean it's it's pretty striking so Jokic, this is we use the basketball reference ages that's as of february 1st of that league year nicole Jokic, this is age 22 season jamal murray his age 20 season gary harris is age 23 and then if you want to get into some of the role guys i mean trey lyles who's had a really nice year we'll talk about him in a bit he's 22 so you could see a lot of growth out of those players and yes that group will get expensive with time but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it and they'll be getting to it pretty soon but not right now I, I think since he's the best player, we should start with Jokic. We don't have to spend a ton of time on him because we've talked about Jokic so much on this podcast. But I mean, we, we've talked about his defense a lot more recently, but his offense is absolutely spectacular. I mean, the best passing big man in the league, if we're especially center, well, I guess we should separate that out. But he, I'd say as a passer, he's better than Draymond Green. He's just a different kind of passer or Simmons I, is different to me. Like, I guess we should say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's a big difference between being stationary being in the post and making passes and actually being able to make passes on the move which that's a whole different animal especially like coming off a pick and roll even sometimes we saw Draymond do yesterday but nonetheless for Jokic how would you say that he has performed compared to expectations this season well I think for him it hasn't really been that much of a disappointment because I think a lot of the it just they couldn't catch lightning in a bottle again not only getting Millsap but also he's gotten better right is is it is that fair to say that he's gotten better? I, I yeah. would say so. I would say he's gotten better. I mean, the efficiency stats are a little bit worse, but I think some of that is just, you know, some shots not falling. I don't see anything structurally that looks just horrendously wrong this year. Though I will say shifting, going from 35% of his shots being at the rim to 20 to 23% is a little concerning, but he did have a rise in free throws. So you can kind of balance those things out. But I think this was not a disappointing year for him. And yes, the Nuggets offense hasn't been as dynamic as it was after the trade 
played last year or even after Nurkic got more minimized. But I don't put that at the feet of, of Jokic. I think that he's done a wonderful job offensively this year. The biggest improvement to me is the three-point shooting. Up to 26% of his shots from downtown, and he's hitting 40% of those. He's 103 out of 257 on the season, and especially of late since Millsap's come back. He's started now to really be aggressive seeking that shot. And while he has a slow release, he's so tall and long and releases it from so far behind his head that it's really difficult to contest his shot kind of a, the same way as Dirk Nowitzki, but it's even more exaggerated how far back it, he releases it. And if he's going to be a high volume three-point guy, I mean, it used to sort of be, all right, if he was wide open, he would take it. You know, you weren't going to just leave him open and he shot only 33% on threes last year. If he's going to be around this level and as aggressive as he's been of late, uh, that is really encouraging to me. And it helps a lot with some of the structural issues that they might have offensively where they don't have to run everything through him now you know he can really be and he could be more of a pick and pop guy in addition to a pick and roll guy that pick and pop is very difficult and then if you switch it he's such a good post guy as we've talked about against smaller players so the one thing that has regressed for him has been his shooting it from the floater zone he was at 61 percent on those shots last year which i mean that nobody ever shoots that well over a sustained period and he's at 47 percent this year which is not as good but he's come on again there of late and 47 percent overall for mid-range when you look at uh he also was a 54 percent on long mid-rangers last year so that was going to come down a little bit i think he's you know kind of at the lower end of what he's normally going to be because he just has such unbelievable touch offensively so i think you know really right on schedule for me um and of course we have to talk about his defense a little bit i mean i think he is giving more of an effort defensively but it's just the physical tools just are not there there's some parallels to me with Kevin Love and the fact that while Jokic is obviously bigger and I would say he has a much higher defensive ceiling than where Love has been the idea that they their presence does not scare drivers is is important because you want to look at not only how many shots a guy blocks or anything like that but altering and and intimidation are also incredibly important Jokic not great at those things I wouldn't expect him he can be maybe more in the kind of the Marcus Soul communicator getting to the spot when he gets more recognition and a little bit more effort on that end but I don't think he's ever going to be a real like lockdown rim protector or anything like that unless he happens to be in the right place and Gasol is the guy who you're given hope that he could become maybe defensively but a couple things there number one Marcus Gasol is a lot bigger than Nikola Jokic is uh in terms of just his height his standing reach I believe is a lot bigger that basing that more on just seeing them but then you know Marcus Gasol when he was defensive player of the year that was a much different league than it is now Uh, and that probably helps Jokic offensively because he has more of a size advantage but when Marcus was defensive player of the year most teams were still playing two traditional picks I mean that was four years ago right or 2013 I think he was defensive player of the year I want to say so uh that was a much different league you know that was a, a league in which Greg Popovich was playing Boris Dia at the three sometimes in that series against the Warriors it was really you know Miami was really the one team that was spreading the floor the way some of these modern teams do so even if he could get to Gasol's level he, and, and he's not going to he wouldn't be as effective there to me um what's the next step for him realistically that he can improve on going forward shifting maybe a little bit i don't know because because it should get a little bit more at at the basket even if it's just on switches because getting back to a little bit of what that was would be would be useful defensively positioning you know just get a little bit a little step there he is a solid defensive rebounder and that that helps but just a little bit there and i think he's always going to turn the ball over like the a guy who's as talented a passer as Jokic is there those will be a part and parcel but cleaning it up a 
little bit. Sometimes he gets not not thirsty as a shooter, but as a handle guy, kind of like Joel Embiid does every once in a while. He's like, oh, I can go, and he can like go behind the back. And yeah, some yeah. Stuff. To that point, thirty four point five percent turnover rate on his transition possessions. A lot of those on on yeah. those bust out dribble plays, which he can do, but uh, you know, maybe that should isn't necessarily the foundation for him. And a difference between him and let's say Ben Simmons, and of course this isn't fair, is that Simmons is so much faster with the ball in his hands than Jokic is. So the advantage gained is larger because the span from grabbing the rebound to crossing half court is just different. And so making the pass instead, doing a look ahead, something like that, I could see Jokic becoming an even more reliable outlet passer than he has been so far. That would probably, to me, be a better use of his skill set than just doing as many grab and goes. I mean, to me, Gasol, again, and uh, Nick Friedel wrote a piece about this a little bit ago. Kevin Love, another example of this. He just got to get in better shape, you know, both from a body composition standpoint from the standpoint of being able to run the floor hard in both directions you know he, he's not very good getting back in transition for example being able to be more of a uh he's a great rebounder but being able to really like go end to end under the basket to under the basket be it both the presence on the offensive glass and get back and that's really the number one thing i mean his skill level is awesome he's continuing to improve the jump shot so uh, all that is great i mean i'd like to see him get a little bit better in the post and we're starting to see this now like he uh, had some really nice moments against miles turner last night by the way in the post but l- being able to score when the defense breaks down against like-sized guys you know he's starting to get to where he's comfortable with a fadeaway out to 15 feet again with that unblockable release uh, behind his head um so th- that those are the things that i think he could stand to improve on last question on him you know what do you see as his ceiling i mean he's gonna be oh i think always in consideration for the lower end of all nba but we're in a, a a renaissance for the center position right now with all these great young centers can he get to really being like the best center in the nba would that be possible it would be a different kind of best center in the league but I mean, he could absolutely be the best offensive center well, in the league. And then he's defensively, got, if, he could, if he weren't going against like a generational talent in Carl Anthony Towns sure. for that designation, I would agree with you. Most years, absolutely. With Carl Towns out there, I, I don't think he can ever get past him unless Towns really suffers a, a drop off. Well, and, and Jokic, I think there's a, a clearer path to him getting the touches that he warrants <laughs> as opposed to Towns. That could be one way, one way that it gets short circuited. And so with Jokic, if he can get to league average or above, I would say you probably want to get close to you know top third would be ideal defensively then you start to have a very different conversation it's kind of like you know the offense versus defense and I think that balance shifts at the center spot but Jokic has the talent I'm not going to write that off age 22 season I mean guys figure out defense later I mean bigs and and point guards I mean that's that's kind of the the bigs at, at that and then point guards offensively it takes them a little bit to get used to the NBA and get used to everything else and so I I absolutely think he could be the best center in the NBA I don't expect it's like a top let's say a top five percent outcome for him but i'm not going to write it off yet well you know we talk about Jokic so much on the podcast we let's cut it short i am to a mere 12 minutes of discussion all right let's try and speed this up a little bit here with jamal murray in this uh, his age 20 season another guy who i mean despite this sort of patina of disappointment around the nuggets in the long term like jamal murray is right on track to being i think what you and i who i think both of us were higher on him than the consensus uh, believed he could be becoming so much more dynamic as an offensive player this year because because you have this base of being a very good shooter and so this year murray is shooting 38 percent from three despite shooting 18 percent in october and 29 percent in november so that all counts just like with lonzo ball and anybody else it all counts but it is a little bit of that background because he's been a slow starter both of his 
NBA seasons and great as a spot up guy coming off screen so he can do a lot of the off ball stuff as well and what I think is most encouraging about Murray this year is that he has shown much more sophistication and talent on ball particularly in pick and roll yeah that is look good did have eight assists last night you know i think he's always going to be a lower assist guy i've when i watch him i see him make some creative passes you know there's he's been damned with the not a pure point guard label i think that is a little bit unfair to him and he does so much dho stuff so much stuff running through Millsap and Jokic and even Plumley. so i think he's uh really improved his shooting i mean that's the number one thing on spot up jump shots catch and shoot 1.36 points per possession 91st percentile i mean that's just awesome shooting i mean he is getting to the point now where he gets an open three i mean he's one of the best guys in the league that you really want shooting that and that was that was the biggest concern for me last year was that the three ball wasn't really going down for him as much at 33 percent. and then when we started off this year everything else looked good and the shot just wasn't going in well now that shot's going in and the biggest reason though more than just the, the stats for him which i think are are totally adequate offensively this year is the fact that he just makes the kinds of shots that other players don't make whether it's from floater range his finishing around the rim is really nice and that's you know people i'm sure think it's hyperbole when i compare him to steph curry but that's really the other than the fact that he's got some creativity and is a good shooter the stuff that he's able to do just unorthodox floaters quick flips around the rim and he's got more athleticism obviously than curry too he's uncorked some pretty massive dunks he got one on jj reddick the other day um so that's really a more what it is and i'm glad that the statistics are catching up to sort of the really creative plays that we had seen from him really from the moment he stepped onto the floor and i still think there's room to grow he improved his free throw rate and like with steph curry murray improving that over the course of his career will have massive dividends because he's a great free throw shooter 91 percent this year after 88 percent last year no reason to believe anything other than that being reality so those are basically free points for him and he's, as you said, better finishing at the rim this year. Love to see him get there a little bit more. And as Jokic shoots more threes, it could open up some real estate there. And depending on how the Nuggets handle the power forward position long term, could even run some even more ambitious stuff to clear things out. They could play five out if they really, really want to. So Murray has potential on that end. And defensively, still not good. Not a good defender. But you see signs like the chase, some chase down blocks and just getting a little bit better with recognition. I don't think he's ever going to be a plus player on that end but he can be a lot better than he has been and let's say kind of like with Jokic if he can get to league average then that's a pretty massively positive player yeah and at least he hasn't just been getting completely destroyed on isos this year getting posted up I'm not sure whether the teams have just decided to go away from that because he's not deemed as much of a liability or whether he has actually improved but he is I think has the skills to be a solid team defender and while he's not incredibly quick guarding other point guards he's not really strong enough to guard guys in the post he's kind of a tweener a little bit defensively i think you know he makes plays i think uh off the ball so i don't think he's gonna end up being that much worse than your normal defensive point guard and maybe if he gets stronger he could be a little bit better of a switch guy let's turn to gary harris another guy who 
is a good cautionary tale throughout some of this of like because you remember his rookie season was just so bad i mean what did he shoot like 18 percent on threes or something his rookie season and then had a breakout and now he's really one of the most consistent players in the nba yeah i i find harris intriguing partially because he i think his offense is a little bit underrated because of the consistency and his defense is a little bit overrated you've made this point before and it's also nice that harris this year so he's shooting a little bit worse from three but it's a higher proportion of his shots and really that is part of the end game for guards that are not the best offensive player on their team and you know if, as long as he's playing with Jokic and Murray he's going to probably be the be the third option in that way and that's not a bad thing for Harris at all and the one concern I have for him offensively and this kind of goes it, it goes the other way with something I just talked about with Murray is that Harris's both the proportion of shots he takes at the rim and his free throw attempt rate have gone down this season by a pretty meaningful amount and he can provide a lot of value as a floor spacer anyway but I'd love to see him like Harris I mean he had those good guard skills he had a handle when he was at Michigan State just attack closeouts and get all the way to the basket get either fouled or get a shot at because if he can just clean up a little bit of that I think it could could make him even more valuable offensively we talked about this before that one of the biggest evolutions in his game this year has been taking a little bit harder a little bit more versatile three-pointers especially off of the DHO action if you go under or you're trailing he's able to pull up for that on the move which is not he was a little bit more of a standstill guy so that's really the area to improve for him is increased versatility of that jump shot is he going to be able to really you know he shoots such a good percentage you might want it to be even more aggressive and again can he there are very few players who could do this but can he get into this kind of reddick corver zone of hey we really need to guard you coming off of screens for three and now we're going to open everything up and he obviously can get to the basket much better than either of those guys quite capable of running a secondary pick and roll on the weak side I just wish that he had a little bit more size can't really be a switch guy he's can guard ones and twos okay he can't really guard threes and while he does have a very high steal rate you know you don't see him making a lot of great plays on ball making guys that uncomfortable on ball I think most of those are in help defense to my recollection so I think he could be a solid shooting guard you know he's, he's not bad I mean and we know there are a lot of bad players at, at that position but he's not quite good enough to like oh we're gonna put him on the other team's point guard and he's gonna lock them down and then he's playing with Murray so it's like you know they don't really have a great great option on point guards and of course they don't have a, a great option defensively at the three either but those players are, are of course hard to come by and the numbers defensively are not amazing 27th in defensive rpm he was much higher in past years and then you know a lot of that comes from the stats with the steals if you just look at defensive rapm which is just looking solely at the on off data very noisy obviously only 147th overall in the nba yeah harris certainly has capability and i could see him improving you know this is age 23 season just getting a little bit more sophisticated with his approach but the physical tools as you said like there there is a ceiling to him on that end just because the versatility can come to his jump shot but it can't really come defensively so i like harris i think that he's getting into the player that is as reasonable a maximization as we can expect and considering he's already on that extension i think that's going to work out reasonably well for them it's a good place to be and i think it's also really fortunate for the nuggets that at least offensively they're not going to need him to be more than 
than that because I don't know that Harris is super capable, but they're not going to need it, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and Harris, you'll recall, basically his contract extension for for seventy four. It was initially reported, I think, as four for eighty four, and but those uh, it turns out are going to be incentives that they'll be glad to pay if, in fact, he reaches them. Don't know exactly what those are. Get to a few of these other guys who you know we might look at more major if they were on other teams. Trey Lyles, who was his age twenty two season, his third in the league, had a promising rookie year, then was buried last year in Utah and really did not handle that well mentally with Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson in the fold. But yeah, hard to say that the Nuggets are ever going to be viewed to have won that trade. But Lyles did at least give them something this year. He's been minimized again with the return of Millsap. I might like to see them just take Plumley out of the rotation a lot and just go with Lyles and Millsap at center against some of these bench units these days. But he's another guy who really for a time there was absolutely on fire from three. And that's what a lot of his game has been built around offensively. Yeah, I mean, 40% of his shots are threes. So that's a a big part of the profile. And when Lyles is making 38% like he is this year, that's fine. Not a problem. And part of why he's has a career high in true shooting, career high in PER is getting that base as a three-point shooter. And Lyles is certainly a capable offensive player. I think the line of division for him moving forward is going to be, can he play enough defense to be more than that? And I'm still in the no camp. I've always been lower on Lyles. This year has really impressed me. And when a guy when a guy ex- exceeds my expectations and does that, I generally s- switch on that side. But defensively, I still don't really buy it all the way. That said, he could still be an incredibly valuable player for this team or another team theoretically in a trade by being a 20 to 25 minute a game player who probably doesn't close games unless he's on fire and probably doesn't start them. Still useful. Yeah, the limitations defensively. Uh, offensively, he absolutely could be a starter, I think, uh, at this point. He, he is very aggressive looking for his three-point shot, and as we noted, still as a good percentage. He can get onto the offensive glass at times. He has the ability to post up, although I'd like to see more of that off of switches where he really gets extremely deep position. I mean, he's bigger than you think he is, he, and he doesn't play quite uh, that big. You know, He's really kind of one of these like 6'10", 250, you know, muscle-bound guys in high school, and he's really kind of gone in the direction uh, away from from that to trying to get quicker which is admirable and playing outside more which with the three-pointer is impressive but also and he's made great strides there from Kentucky where I mean he played the threesome but he wasn't really taking the three-pointer much so he deserves a lot of credit for his skill development and he's an excellent pick and pop guy if you're not going to switch him so all of the offense is fine it's just defensively too slow to be a switch guy can't get over and protect the rim very much can't really play up at center at all either can't stop anybody in an ISO so there's a a lot of problems there for him defensively and I think it's going to be very difficult for him to ascend to being a starter unless major changes are made in that regard uh but you know I mean you know maybe he could become kind of like a Ryan Anderson type of guy uh but he's he's got to kind of get bigger and tougher there and Anderson even himself is a great shooter Lyles isn't quite at that level yet he's gonna have to expand his range to you know 28 feet instead of 26 feet but it's uh maybe that's the path for him but on a team he's not a great fit on this team either because they're already so good offensively that they need more of a defensive type of player at that position I mean they they ironically could really use what Darrell Arthur used to be before he just kind of you know had all these weird injuries and just his career has gone south so uh 
I, you could see Lyles being a better fit uh, on another team, but it, it's been very interesting. We've talked about so many of these power forwards, like you know Bobby Portis is another one, for example, Kuzma. Although I think he's more dynamic than either Lyles or Portis. Um, the fit w- with a lot of these guys, and I think it's an interesting idea for the draft. Is hey, you know what? If you're drafting a pure power forward at this point, unless the guy can really be a defensive force, unless you can look at him as all right, this guy's a combo forward. You know, he can defend, switch. If he can't do that, and you're drafting a pure power forward that guy's probably going to end up as a bench player yeah i think that's a fair point and that's also worth considering as we get to the next guy Juancho hernan gomez also his age 22 season this has really been a lost year for him which is such a shame dealt with mono early in the year and then lyles basically took those minutes and never gave them up so Juancho last year played 842 minutes in 62 games this year 275 minutes just hasn't had the opportunity and i think some of the some of the number based stuff with him as is just due to small sample size i mean so Juancho shooting 29 percent from three was 41% last year hasn't taken that many has just hasn't really had the opportunity and then the other significant part of his season is that the Nuggets partially due just to supply have played him more at small forward and theoretically if that worked it would really open some stuff up for them just because they don't have personnel at that position but especially offensively I don't think that does want show any favors because those players can just move their feet so much better and he loses a lot of the competitive advantages it's kind of the idea of are do you have a strength advantage or a quickness advantage and I think with Wancho for me he's so much better offensively at the four though i understand why they're trying it because the nuggets pretty much have to yeah and he actually got some minutes the other night against milwaukee with wilson chandler out and then it was right back to the bench against indiana with chandler having returned from that broken nose starting off the season with mono was not good he did not really have a great summer league though and and this was a, an anecdote i've told this on the story uh, on the podcast before but this was a towards the end of last year the nuggets were in town and they're involved in one of those th- pre-game three-on-three stay in shape type of games and they're getting pretty tired you know they're going hard mike miller was still on the team then Malik Beasley was involved in that too and afterwards Mike Miller was like hey let's run some sprints and Malik Beasley was like yeah let's do it and Wancho's like yeah you know I'm just not gonna do it you know and that's just one anecdote but you get the feeling that just in general the organization is not as high on him as they could have been and also the shooting I didn't buy that he was quite a 41 percent type of shooter I mean his shot's a little weird he gets his left hand a little involved in it he's certainly willing to take those shots and he's an excellent rebounder you know and the statistical translations loved him into the league they really love what he did last year and so we were hopeful that he could seize a rotation spot this year it hasn't happened for him potentially a buy low candidate for another team and you could say that about Malik Beasley as well the only thing that's difficult for Beasley is he's really smaller than you think as a shooting guard and you know if he doesn't really have that great size he might be better guarding point guards and as a shooter you know he's been okay at times in his career but just they have not really had a spot for for him and not really a guy who's capable of playing backup point guard he's only at 33 percent from three this year but 581 minutes he's been pressed into service just a little bit but that's uh has not been indicative of his role i mean he really uh, has even with the trade of emmanuel moody has not been in the rotation yeah i mean a little bit under 600 minutes for the season and beasley might end up become being a bigger part of their team next year if they lose will barton which i think is very very possible but i don't know exactly if he's going to shine in that role it just might be a matter of necessity especially if denver sees the tax as prohibitive as 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 being a do not go line because then you know if they're going to pay Jokic and they are then it gets more complicated so you know maybe 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 we get to see what he can do in that sort of a circumstance i will move on to the rest of the division momentarily oh wait hold on tyler lyden is on this team 
Yeah, apparently. All right, now we'll move on to the rest of the division. Has your company outgrown QuickBooks? Our shared spreadsheets, manual processes, legacy systems costing you time and money. Well, NetSuite by Oracle is the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. And they really mean every aspect. You can save time, money, unneeded headaches. You can manage sales, HR, finance, and accounting instantly. Do it from your desk or even from your phone as well. And thousands of the best-known and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you and more affordable than you think if you are a small business owner and you've started out you've had some success you're good at the product you're good at making the service maybe you're not as good at taking the next step now beyond initially establishing your business NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to help you overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free they've got this free guide crushing the five barriers to growth in it you'll learn how to acquire new customers increase profits and finally get real visibility into your cash flow the way to get that crushing the five barriers to growth guide is at netsuite.com suite as in like an office suite netsuite.com slash cap space right now now that slash cap space url easy to remember we talk about it all the time on the program here netsuite.com slash cap space to download their free crushing the five barriers to growth guide today that's netsuite.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us where do you want to go next here let's do the wolves 44 and 34 as of when we're recording this four and three since last 1560 10th in net rating fourth in offense still remarkable 26th in defense 538 gives them an 88 percent chance of being the playoffs of course that's going to swing over the next couple days 46 projected wins and th- the place to start here is carl anthony towns another guy that we've talked about a lot on the show and where i want to start with towns is just kind of getting people in in the right headspace with this so the top 10 players in per are you know they're all remarkable all well known and they all have a usage rate using the way espn calculates it which is that there's some differences in usage every single one of them including lamarcus aldridge and anthony davis has a usage rate of 27.5 percent or higher carl anthony towns is more efficient as an offensive player than every single one of those guys but steph curry his usage rate is 21.9 percent. that's insane that it's that low even after butler has been out all this time and i forget i apologize that i forget who it was who tweeted this at us but basically it was research showing that when Towns increases his usage, his efficiency doesn't go down at all. So it's not the case because, and that's just the nature in some ways of Thibodeau's offense, right? It's very much your turn, my turn. There's not that much spacing. Maybe he can get into pick and pop every once in a while and get his shot set up by others but a lot of what he's doing is self-graded even at that low usage rate so that makes perfect sense that when he ramps it up and just gets the ball more he's not going to be any less efficient and it really is just incredible how efficient he has been i mean we've said this before that he might be the guy the offensive big man who checks the most boxes of any offensive big man in history now of course many players didn't have the ability to shoot three-pointers because it didn't exist or just coaches didn't let him do it or whatever uh so that's a little unfair to some past greats but just looking at the fact that he can do absolutely everything on a basketball court offensively and he has no offensive weaknesses really maybe you could say his passing out of the post a little bit but he still has a lot of creativity there i think that's something that at age 22 is certainly going to get much better as he deals more with double teams and actually maybe plays on a team with some spacing at some point also really encouraging that that while towns's shots at the rim have gone down a little bit i mean he's still 
ridiculously efficient there. A lot of that has been consumed by his free throw rate really going up. And Towns is an 86% free throw shooter. So getting to the line, those are close to automatic conversions or as close as you can get realistically. He's so good at just getting opposing players uncomfortable that he can either get a good shot or get fouled. And then his touch, not only around the basket, but from floater range and now from mid-range and three is just ridiculous. And while I think 42% from three is a little rosy for him moving forward, it could be in the high 30s and it wouldn't bother me at all. Like, I think I think that wouldn't be a surprise in the least. 42 just seems a little rich. Yeah, I mean, he is just hitting everything these days, especially when he's open right now. Um, and the, the mid... Yeah. Oh, so I have a question yeah, yeah, for let's you. Let's, let's exclude some of the Thibodeau-ness of this. Do you think Carl Anthony Towns could win an MVP? As an offensive player, absolutely. I mean, I, I could see him... I Maybe he can't be quite the best offensive player in the league just because the nature of a big man, it's a little bit harder to get them the ball at this point. I mean, and we've noted this, the last MVP, last guy to even get into the top three in MVP, although maybe Anthony Davis will change that this year, uh, was Blake Griffin in 2014 as a big. And then you have to go back to, I think, KG uh, before you can find someone who was a traditional big who got into that type of, of strand. But he would have to probably get to be a plus defender to me. I'm not sure that that will happen. He's taking some baby steps here and there. He's been at least a little bit less sonambulant in help defense, but still has a, a very long way to go. I would like to see him engaged more as a switch defender. I still think that's one of his best attributes that we just haven't seen used very much. Every once in a while, it, it'll get broken out and he's able to flash that, but I, I wish they would go to that scheme a little bit more. But Tibbs, that's not what he does. You're going to get over a screen. Uh, so they're not going to switch stuff unless it's late clock there. So I don't know. But but I mean, I think there would be a little bit more hope for his defense, but I mean, he's taking more steps forward offensively. It's just they got to throw in the ball more. I mean, that's and it's tough to quibble with the fourth ranked offense but I think they could be even better. I think so too. But let's move on to Wiggins. Age 22 season for both of those guys. Wiggins was drafted a year earlier. That's why he got his extension a year earlier. This has been just such a massively disappointing season for him, not to spoil one of my awards, but this is, and remember, Wiggins has been up and down throughout his career. This season, his fourth year, is his career low in PER at 13-2, true shooting and free throw attempt rate. And that is with playing, and so some of the, you know, PER values usage true shooting does not so he could be more effective and have a lower usage all that kind of stuff that's concerning and another one i've really liked this cleaning the glass has a stat of points per shot attempt so it's kind of another way of measuring certain elements of this wiggins is now at one at basically one point per shot attempt he is 26th percentile among wings which is the position they classify him at and he is 80th percentile among wings in terms of usage and famously leads the team in shot attempts uh despite the reports that he is unhappy as a third Third option. I think it'd be interesting to look at his stats since Jimmy Butler went down. His stats in March are, are a decent proxy for that shot a few more free throws but that's a, another really worrisome trend you know one of the whole things that he did in college where you're like oh this is he's not aggressive enough oh but he, he gets to the foul line you know he really 4.2 free throw attempts a game in march and that's in 37 minutes and the three ball went down a little bit better for him 38 percent in march he, he's really struggled in other months but not really some incredible improvement for him in march he had a few good games but a lot of that was just built on shooting jump shots and 
he averaged 18.8 points and wasn't particularly efficient there either so I, I just i don't think you're being fair to his defense when you put him uh, you know nominated him for worst team all defense at the three i think he's been better than that uh although the numbers would agree with you but i mean when you consider what his contract is going to be and you would have to give him you know a two in terms of its development and i mean we didn't have him that if you just gave a five-year max contract to a guy who number one wasn't even in the top 10 of our top 10 prospects i don't think he even made honorable mention for either russ and then since then his star has only continued to fall yeah he's got some talent but and he's going to be 23 next year it really does not appear to be in the offing for him right now and they if i were them especially given their upcoming luxury tax concerns i would think extremely seriously about trying to move on from him while you still can i would too and wiggins has the intrigue just blue chip prospect all that kind of stuff that maybe there is a team especially now that there aren't the many that have a ton of cap space that says hey this is the best that we're going to do but it's not the best that the minnesota can do i mean just having that space to do other things with would be very valuable for them so yeah i would consider that as well the other guy of significance to talk about with minnesota is tyus jones age 21 season and i've liked a lot of what we've seen from them this year 35 percent on threes in three attempts per 36 it's not amazing but you know for a support player it'd be interesting to see what i it uh, split out from starter versus being a backup and the other part that i want to put a pin in for next year is for the first two years of tyus jones career he shot about 53 percent at the rim 50 i think it was 53 one year 54 the other this year all the way up to 69 percent, and that's about a quarter of his shots if that can hold anything close to solid and part of that might even be just town space in the four more playing a little bit with them and some of these lineups that are out there if that stays even close to where it is it brings jones so much more value as a more versatile offensive player particularly as a score yeah he's just he's a st- steady player young guy while we've been high on him that we thought he could be a solid backup point guard drafted with the 24th pick to turn out to absolutely be a solid backup point guard this year feel pretty good about that i would be interested to see what would become of him if he wasn't on the team with like so many other high usage guys like would he be able to really be more of a focal point of the offense as a backup point guard but a little bit too limited off the dribble a little bit too limited size wise and a little bit too limited i think defensively despite the fact that he's a great steals guy just a little bit too small i think to be a starter although his numbers have always been good i think if you wanted to try and like count on him to be a starter in the future you'd probably be disappointed he's a guy who's extension eligible also seems like maybe he could be a casualty next offseason get a bigger contract elsewhere as a backup because they're going to have these tax concerns maybe they go for you know the raymond felton type on the veterans minimum as their backup point guard instead but you have to be pleased with how he's played the fact that he's been able to seize that backup point guard role they haven't had to go with aaron brooks for example maybe not the greatest sign that they signed Derek rose uh but you know that's uh tom thibodeau's personnel acumen perhaps uh not something that we always agree with so i I think he's been on track but i I don't he's a year closer to fulfilling the destiny of being a quality backup guard and maybe a guy who could close games in a two-point guard alignment every once in a while and a guy who can come in and and be a starter hit some shots when your main starter is down or or, i think even on this team maybe he could be an okay starter just because they have so much other shot creation um yeah so I, i think he's on the way to fulfilling his destiny it's been a successful season for him yeah i would agree with that and if the wolves needed more it would be a challenge but they don't so 
yeah, I, acquiring him, like theoretically making a bet saying like uh, Tyus Jones is being your guy in the 2019 offseason would be very daunting for me. I haven't looked at the restricted market then, but you know, but if you can pay him backup money or close to it, then then that's a little bit of a different thing. Just briefly, Justin Patton, this has been a lost season for him, battling injuries. Well, uh, and I'm not battling... sure I would say that it's a lost season. He has played 35 games in the G League. In the G- so, so that's, I mean, he's been healthy for half of yeah, the year. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it's just, you know, yeah. hey, they draft another center and they have a billion centers um but it, it, yeah and and a lot of yeah that's true it's not a loss season and and it's not fair to him i mean yes he's been worse than the guys that are drafted below him but that's not just in Patton's fault yeah you know in the g league 53 percent true shooting that's not very good uh does have 27 percent usage which is interesting i mean i, I have to look at you know, exactly how he's getting to that number but that's encouraging as a shot creator uh good thing they have one of the best centers of all time <laughs> creating shots uh in carl anthony towns uh although again they have to throw in the ball that's enough on justin Patton, though uh we'll uh have more on him during some from our summer league report and then uh marcus george's hunt has some three and d ability that's why he was brought in had a, a stretch in december and january it looked like maybe he might break into the rotation but now they went back to all the guys who like to take shots instead of the guys who defend and and can finish plays but hunt has shown a, a few flashes what's his contract situation for next year i forget so he is not under contract which means that he is a restricted free agent should they choose to make a qualifying offer and for hunt the three ball is really what's going to be important for him and he's only three out of 14 on threes 20 out of 47 from the field from the year in uh, 223 minutes so maybe a guy who deserves a shot at some point with that strong body plays hard is supposed to be a a good character guy but not someone i'm going to count on filling a rotation spot anytime soon Uh, should we talk about a gorgie jang young player just only drafted in 2013 he he could turn the corner any minute here. Well, he has financially. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. This is his yeah, this 28 is... season. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried to set you up for that and you hesitated. And then I just like couldn't contain myself any longer. Uh, yeah. But hey, you know, well, only we, three we more get... years left on his contract. And he's basically been like unplayable lately uh, at anything other than center. So not great. And Carl Anthony Towns is going to play 39 minutes a game for this team. Yeah. Let's move on to OKC. The Thunder are 45 and 34, a uh, destructive 2 and 5 since the last time we recorded. They're 8th in net rating, 8th in offense, 10th in defense, and 538 gives them a 93% chance of making the playoffs and 47 wins. A lot of volatility with the Thunder just based on who they still have left to play. And they have one of the more interesting kind of on the low end young young guy th- situations and part of that is because of the guy we're not going to talk about first, but because one of these players is actually going to be an unrestricted free agent. But let's talk about Terrence Ferguson first, because he is the clearest part of their future, age 19 year. And what I enjoyed most going through kind of some of his stuff, I mean, I've enjoyed watching him play when when he's active and engaged like that game against the Lakers. Ferguson has been a lot of fun to watch, is that he's such a Mori ball guy, even though the Thunder are not that kind of team. 69% of his shots are threes, and 18% of his shots are at the rim. So only 13% are floaters or mid-rangers. Yeah, now part of that is because those shots at the rims are, are a lot of them are just in transition on leak outs and he's an explosive finisher there but he really his ball skills off the dribble are wanting i mean that's the number one thing that he's got to improve is he ever going to be someone who can run a pick and roll certainly the scouting report on him would indicate that he's got a very long way to go and that he's someone that will be watching closely in summer league to see whether with more responsibilities he's going to be able to graduate a little bit to doing slightly more off the dribble 
defensively just too skinny right now uh he will compete he does try to he's got quick feet i think he can get to being pretty solid guarding twos maybe even switching on to ones and having russell westbrook guard twos that could be a good role for him in time although he's not there yet struggles to execute uh, of course and so much of his season was really that one game against the lakers when i think he had 24 points and uh, some big dunks at the end and really once robertson went down they tried him as a starter for about a month and he really uh, failed it in that role the starting lineup was awful now it's not like they've been able to find any other great shakes at that position either but they tried him he's not ready yet but still a guy with his leaping ability and ability in theory to hit shots and defend is an intriguing prospect i I think he's been pretty much about what we thought he was going to be coming off the season in australia where he wasn't even really able to contribute for his australian team other than uh helping their finances when the thunder had to buy out his contract ferguson needs to get a lot stronger if he can get stronger without losing the the burst and the vertical he could become a very interesting player especially we don't know what the heck the thunder perimeter rotation is going to look like maybe we'll have a better idea once paul george makes his decision but ferguson could fit in as a smaller piece in the near term and then you know who knows where he'll what he'll grow into in his in his early to mid-20s and one other just quick note i looked for a second i'm like oh he's shooting 90 percent at the free throw line that's really good then i realized it was nine of ten that's correct he's taken 10 free throws this year <laughs> so it's the second year in a row that the Thunder had a, a rookie who barely took any free throws because last year it was DeMontis Sabonis. Sabonis took a whopping 67 free throws for a an attempt rate of 0.139 and Ferguson has halved that attempt rate to basically 6% of his shots. Playing next to Russell Westbrook is just, it's got to be so fun and you really just get to spread your wings uh, offensively. Let's talk about Jeremy Grant who has had, I think, a lot of development defensively some of their best games have been with him kind of flying around i would posit that at this point they might be better with him at power forward than carmel anthony the disappointment from him down to 29 percent from three and this is another one of those hey watch out for small sample size it's a lot more about the volume when you're talking about three-point shooting because a, a year ago 38 percent on 114 attempts that's a pretty low number you know i mean you're talking about one and a half a game there he played 78 games last year this year 29 percent on almost an identical number of attempts and so it's really it's just too volatile both because it's just you know that's a you're subject to luck when it's only that number of shots but even more so i think because the fact that you're taking so few shots just means that you're probably not that good of a shooter like that the your attempt rate a lot of times is probably a better indication of how well you're going to shoot on threes going forward than your percentage if we're talking about like 100 attempts a year or something another shift that is important for grant in the positive is that last year okc played him more at the three than i was comfortable with i just thought his defensive game you know you'd love for him to be a little bit more of a switch guy but i like him more as a help side defender and some of those elements so he shifted from being a three slash four to actually being a four slash five partially due to his own skill set and oklahoma city not having a backup center he's played basically all of his minutes as classified by clean the glass at the four and the five 17 at center and i think it's fit him pretty well defensively yeah i've liked that they've not switched as much maybe as commonly believed but he really causes problems he blocks some shots he intimidates he dunks on people around the rim he's a very versatile dunker too like he'll dunk from some odd positions under the hoop and as an unrestricted free agent it's going to be very interesting for him they'll have his cap hold at the minimum since he's coming off that hinky special minimum contract but assuming they can bring back paul george they'll be in tax hell and so it'll be very interesting what kind of contract 
contract offers he gets i I don't think that and he's always been a non-shooter he'll take a few more but i don't expect that to be a major part of his game unless he's just left absolutely wide open but the versatility that he has i think he he could be a quality backup if you're counting on him being a starter offensively maybe you're gonna feel a little bit disappointed going forward it's one of those things where i feel that it's likely it's never gonna be you know a great three-point shooter you know maybe he could get to be like a jeff green level a three-point shooter which is uh as we know is not very good it is also positive that partially due to the shift in position he is taking a lot more shots at the rim his previous high was 49 percent of his attempts that's up to 58 and he's making almost 70 percent from there you know some some dunks but also just getting more finishes around the rim and jeremy grant can finish so that that's a, a good distribution for a, a guy who's a limited shooter so i'm happy about that we can transition into a guy who has a very different shot distribution alex abrinas one of the first guys i've seen with this because i haven't looked at it too closely in outright majority of his shots are above the break threes he i think it's 54 percent of his shot attempts for the year are above the break and he's making overall on all of his threes including the corners 39 percent from long distance and you know that's what he is he's done it pretty well abrinas is another one of these guys that i think might be suffering from playing with russell westbrook disease i think that he could be a little bit more dynamic i mean i'm not talking about a guy who you're going to throw it to and say hey go run us a pick and roll but like a lot of these european guards i think he actually has some craft he's got some explosion getting the room we saw that dunk on jordan bell he likes to dunk with two hands jumping off of his right foot which you don't see a lot from right-handed players but he's uh and he's made his shots this year the biggest disappointment has been defensively he's been a guy that they've gone after with him and mellow on the floor it's just it's too difficult he's too thin you run a pick and roll with his man and all of a sudden he gets switched on to someone that he just can't handle it all and so that's why i think he hasn't played as much i still think that they might consider playing him more to try and get a little bit more spacing now Corey brewer of course has usurped his or i shouldn't say it never really was his spot because he hasn't started very many games this year he's only started eight of the 73 games that he's played in and two-point shooting has not been a strength for him only 44 percent i think he can finish okay at the rim but on long twos i mean he hasn't taken many of them and he hasn't made many of them i I still think he could be more than he has been a little older than you think he is because he spent a few years in spain after he was drafted very young so age 24 season for him i i don't think that he can become a starter just because he would have to be an unbelievable shooter to deal with his defensive limitations i think he could be a smart defender but just his body type i don't think he's ever going to get strong enough uh to really be adequate defensively um yeah i looked this up just because i was intrigued one lineup that i remember seeing it at one point this year and was like oh that's that's kind of fun westbrook abrinas paul george jeremy grant and stephen adams they've only played 100 possessions together which is not much and plus 32 in those 100 possessions and the reason why is just because it's the idea of putting lower usage guys around russell westbrook but actually having a lower usage guy that can shoot in abrinas just creates a little bit more spacing i'm not saying that should be their closing lineup necessarily but it's intriguing who should come up with a term i'm soliciting this is an official solicitation to uh our listeners to come up with a term that adequately describes someone who is both low usage and inefficient as well um that's uh we'll put that out there that might be you know name it after a player maybe or some kind of a pun that danny will enjoy yeah dakari johnson is on this what? team or sorry were you gonna say something else about Abrinus? well he's periodically on this team yeah. 159 minutes and six starts despite being their only backup traditional backup center they've been using of course patterson and jeremy grant there and i don't know i haven't really seen that much from johnson that impresses me but he has guaranteed money for next year so we'll probably see him next year yeah and that was maybe just a payoff for him toiling in the g league for a couple of 
of years as a, a second round pick not f- trying to force his way onto the roster and i don't think he really can contribute that much just a little bit too slow has to be a dominant rebounder and finisher we haven't seen that necessarily for him it doesn't have the explosion or the quickness of foot and isn't you know in the g league he can go in and get some post touches and score just not really something that you're going to see him do in the nba let's move on to portland now 48 and 30 after a tough loss in dallas dame lillard sprained his ankle and don't know if we're going to see him play in the next game yet uh he, he will not play against houston uh, that was announced okay earlier. so he's and if he doesn't play maybe they could be in jeopardy but the spurs having lost okc having lost they still probably feel a little bit better about uh, the three seed uh, so those losses yesterday for their competition mean that they should still be all right uh for the three seed uh their 2.4 net rating is ninth in the nba they have the 14th ranked offense and the ninth ranked defense projected to finish uh, with with 50 wins though that doesn't know that dame lillard is going to be out let's talk about yusuf nurkic who really wowed last year in his short stint with the team before he came up with that uh, stress fracture in his leg uh, that cost him basically the entirety of the their four game playoff run nurkic has struggled offensively i think compared to expectations they have not used him as much as a passer around the elbows with the more limited shooting that they've had that approach hasn't worked as much i think he's also been a little bit more selfish as he's been in this contract bush was unable to agree on an extension but defensively really he's been a big part of what they've been able to do in somehow miraculously getting this defense into the top 10 and it's been top five for much of the year yeah i mean portland they've done well in terms of preventing shots at the rim and then making those shots difficult a key part of defense and it's not like they have a ton of really dominant you know shot blocking help guys especially in their starting five i mean i like aminu a lot but he's not you know the, the same type of like when teams used to play two bigs or somebody like serge Ibaka or something like that and nurkic offensively more efficient around the basket this year taking a lower proportion of his shots there but may you know making 65 percent is a nice little step for him and it's so weird when you think about this the structure of this team that Nurkic plays a large portion of his minutes with their other you know with their dynamic scoring guards but still has a usage usage percentage of about 27 percent that's and really, you know it's, it's not that the, high 27 percent usage for use of Nurkic the the basketball reference form of usage I think is it's lower on on the ESPN form on ESPN's he is at 25 two that's still insanely high I think he could deal with getting rid of just a few of those flip shops a two a few of those long twos you know if he just cut out two of those per game i think he'd be a better player it would be more efficient overall that's something that just has not been good enough despite as you mentioned he's been a little bit better around the room although he's never going to be great there because he just doesn't have the explosion and he likes to go to these flip shops instead of really powering up a lot of time because he's he's worried he's going to get it blocked so he wants to get it off before the defense can arrive and those are inherently going to be a little bit less efficient um but i think the, the defense has been most encouraging also i think the way we saw him really hurt switches uh, in that houston game for example that's very encouraging for his development it's just all going to become a question now uh, of what to pay him and a a guy with somewhat of a prickly attitude i think overall you have to be pleased though with the steps that he's made defensively to be able to anchor a good defense we didn't know that that's something that he had in him necessarily and while he doesn't look like the most 
athletic dude he's got good hands he'll, he'll do some dumb reaches every once in a while but good hands can block some shots and just take up space and he's quick enough to actually get in front of drivers and you mentioned how badly teams have shot at the rim and how infrequently also with this team so i think you have to be pleased with his development overall hope that he can have a little bit better of a season with a little bit more judicious shot selection although will he ever get that through his head maybe maybe not depending on if his contract needs are alleviated uh let's turn to zach collins who a guy i think i would say he's looked better than the stats have indicated yeah a a good representation of that is his block percentage is two and a half i thought it was way higher than that because you see certain games he has a night you know like i think it was one where he got the post-game interview i'm trying to remember who it was against maybe utah i'm trying to remember who it was against and he had like three blocks in a couple of minutes and you have that and it's like okay not not in that way then he has these nice games shooting 32 percent from three but it's just it, it is hit or miss and so that's you want to look at the totality of it because it all counts yeah encouraging for collins again is just his jump shot looks much better than it did early in the season he's not taking as long to load up he's it was taking this exaggerated jump forward he still does that some but it didn't doesn't seem to be doing that as much to me i I haven't really broken down every one of his shots from the beginning of the season to the end to confirm that but this is when i've seen him he's looked more comfortable out there never getting fouled is a little weird uh for him and part of that too is he's basically playing as a power forward offensively a lot of his minutes have come with that davis in a lineup that's been relatively effective so he at least hasn't been like killing the team even though his individual statistics and efficiency have been pretty low he's can get in a position he's got quick ish feet for a center if you want to play power forward you're probably gonna be disappointed do you feel that he would be ready to step in as the starter next year if they had to move on from nurch i would worry about the blazers defense just because i've i've felt that it's it it seems unsustainable to be even with nurkic but collins just isn't a strong and stout in that way i think there would be have to be some reformatting there but i'm okay with that just because if if nurkic just if the money is too high and it's untenable then that's just the yeah. way it is i mean they would have to bring in i think someone who's a little bit bigger body a little more experienced I mean, collins also just isn't strong enough right now i don't think yeah just run, run more of a rotation use some of their mid-level or something like that on a on a stout guy you know maybe of the not not zaza Pachulia himself but of that mold to to kind of get it going i could see that being a part of it and I think just the number of minutes that he's played the fact that he's been able to contribute on a winning team and not kill them is encouraging but the overall numbers have not been great the hope is eventually he can be this three-point shooting center on offense then protect the rim on defense maybe even switch a little bit with those quick feet he doesn't have the longest arms in the world and i'm not sure that he has the greatest feel around the basket for finishing you know as a role man while well, he does throw some nice passes every once in a while from a stationary position i don't see him as the guy like oh you can catch it have a sense of where the defense is maybe take a pivot and score avoid the charge you know know when you're cut off and throw a pass he's a long way away from being that kind of player and and you mentioned or you didn't mention this but i will still got 14 dunks on the year six percent of his field goal attempts again he's had to play outside a little bit more but you would hope that that's something uh, as a guy who's got decent leaping ability that he could get to and he gets a a fair number of his shots blocked as well uh he has had uh, only 16 
getting shots blocked i guess that's not that bad so a, a guy who again like the stats and the eye test like don't really seem to match up for him in a lot of ways i'm very curious to see where he goes because he has some abilities but he also has some very clear weaknesses in his game right now the kind of depth pieces on the blazers are un- interesting and sort of unusual this year pat Connaughton, age 25 season tripled his minutes from the previous two years combined he's at 1432 i haven't been super impressed with him so far this year 35 percent on threes which is a lot more reasonable than the insane 52 percent he shot on a small sample size last year and not really a high usage guy 9.3 per he's fine will be a restricted free agent this year i haven't seen anything to say oh you have to bring him back or anything like that especially if they can bring shabazz napier back because napier has been much more dynamic for them well i hope he catches on somewhere so i can continue to make those 44 inch vertical jokes uh oh he'll get it he'll get a, a roster spot somewhere yeah. i'm convinced oh yeah and he's supposed to be a guy yeah. who's a really good teammate when you talk about him and it's good to see him be able to at least carve out a rotation role but that rotation role looked a lot better when he's shooting 40 percent on threes earlier in the season had not really been able to, to get the jump shot to go down in previous iterations so much really depends on whether he's going to make that three ball if he can shoot high 30s then you know i think he can be a rotation player off the bench if not you know he, he's fringy next guy we can talk about briefly caleb swanigan who the blazers took 26th in the draft shortly ahead of kyle kuzma and josh hart i think hart is actually the pick that stings them more because they really could have used him this year and swanigan has only played 165 games or sorry 165 minutes small difference with the big squad i haven't seen much of him so i don't have much of a thought except that when in summer league you know he moved better physically but i just didn't know what his spot was on an nba team i still don't know Four. 41% on twos and then only one out of eight from three this was a pick that never made sense to me because it's just like what is he how does he fit into the modern nba he's not going to block shots probably can't move his feet well enough uh, on defense to get out on the perimeter or, or be a great pick and roll guy i guess he rebounds pretty well the jump shot is better than it used to be but are you really thinking that he's going to be some awesome shooter to where that's going to be a an enormous plus caught him uh, not going to protect the rim so he's really caught in between the the four and the five this is just another one of those picks we didn't like it at the time there were other guys who really were just had a chance of being modern nba players that i don't believe that swanigan does i was worried a little bit that i might be wrong when he was actually getting playing time early in the year that quickly ceased he started three games he's only played 24 games now overall so this is looking this can always change it's only his age 20 season but looking like not a great pick at this point in time and then they got wade baldwin whom they recently converted from a two-way hasn't really been playing in the g league had a i think it was a wrist fracture so can't really say much about him and then jake layman a guy who still will remember how he hit like his first five three-pointers against the warriors in a blowout in his career and then really has never been able to make shots hasn't played at all this year despite their desperate need for wing depth and with his contract situation i think this is the last year he has guaranteed money you could see him very easily being just a, a casualty his guarantee date is oh it's actually early june 30th and so i think there's absolutely no way they had his first two years were guaranteed he hasn't played at all he's 23 hard to believe that he's not going to get cut before that june 30th deadline uh because they definitely do not want his contract to guarantee for next year with their tax issues we only have one team left so we're doing okay on time (laughs) the utah jazz 45 and 33 5 and 3 since last one of these sixth in net rating which is striking 18th in offense second in defense 
538 gives them a 98% chance of making the playoffs and 47 projected wins. They're right in that morass, but could end up being towards the top of it. And I'm sure we'll talk about him in the rookie of the year discussion, but I see these as kind of separate things. We have to start with Donovan Mitchell. Didn't know much about Mitchell when he came in. I thought everyone who was saying he was going to be this big scorer was crazier. I was like, all right, you know, three and D didn't really score that efficiently at Louisville, but jump shot looks good, even though it didn't go in that much at Louisville. It's a very pure looking stroke. And he's going to be a guy who can really get into people defensively strong, maybe even can guard up a little bit uh, from the two position with those long arms. That was totally incorrect. His passing, some of the creativity, he'll throw these like hook bowling ball passes to guys on the weak side. He's been quite effective in pick and roll this season. His finishing, we thought of him as purely a two foot leaper. And that's the case if he's really going to get up. Most of his finishes, surprisingly, are not really plays where he's skying over guys and creating contact and finishing a lot of it is just very cheeky extension type of finishes after he gets into the lane because he's not able to get up that that much but he just extends out past the defense and says he really he's a guy who when he really loads up he can get up but he's not like a quick jumper necessarily and you know he's thrown down some highlight dunks when he can really load up in space so really just everything offensively has been pretty good you know he shot it poorly to start the year still not uh, the two things that he has to get better at i mean which is at age this is age 21 season shooting off the dribble for mid-range and, and shooting off the dribble from three i mean that's really what's going to be the next step for him i think but just i mean one of the most successful rookie seasons out of nowhere that we've ever seen and it's going to be so much fun to see what mitchell becomes in the future do the jazz want to give him the keys to the offense and i mean because they have ricky rubio for next year rubio has had a successful season himself but you need to make that long-term decision because because if this is Donovan Mitchell's team, it needs to become Donovan Mitchell's team quickly. And also that affects what they do with whether it's cap space, exceptions, however they, they work that moving forward, because you build a team differently if it's going to be Mitchell at the one versus Mitchell off ball or some sort of combo thing. They do have Joe Ingles and Gobert under contract for a long time, but I still think they need to figure that out. I am very intrigued by his defensive potential. Such a strong guy, athletic. I mean, he has some of the best tip dunks of the year and his because he gets up so high they even look better than oh, some, yeah. I mean they're they're taller guys that can do great tip dunks but with Mitchell they just pop off the screen that was true in summer league it's been true every time I've seen him in person as well and really I, I think people might be underselling how good he could be I mean we got some flack back when we did the top 10 prospects type thing but he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands the jump shot is projectable just needs to get more versatile but I don't I don't doubt the possibility it's not a certainty but it is a possibility and so yeah I mean I could absolutely see him being you know i could see him being not only the best guard from by but i could see him being the best point guard from this class there there is really just i don't want to constrain what donovan mitchell can be other than like an mvp type guy i don't think he can reach that level but all the other elements offensively defensively for his position i think they're all on the table the other thing he has to do a better job of is getting into the free throw line i mentioned how a lot of his finishes are kind of these scoop type of plays skill reach around the defense those aren't the type of plays that are going to get you to the foul line and if he can also develop some of those plays where he just draws fouls on the perimeter um only a 20.9 percent free throw rate which is not particularly impressive but i mean 29 percent usage for a rookie and to be he's not quite at the league average overall in true shooting 54 percent, but certainly there for guards and he also could contribute more on the boards where he really you know 6.2 percent overall rebound percentage is not amazing i'm 
so he has plenty of room to grow and just in terms of the the pure scoring that he's had this year i mean he's had in the last 20 years you know he's top two top three top four in terms of number of 20 point games number of 25 point games for a rookie and and while the efficiency is not like unbelievable to be able to have that type of volume as a rookie and be even league average for a team that is desperately needed every ounce of creation that he can give them i will quibble a little bit with your statement that oh they have to decide that it's going to be his team i do think his best position would be point guard if you can get a little bit more shooting around him that would help but he doesn't necessarily have to be the the guy with the ball in his hands next year every time i mean 29 percent usage he's already getting plenty of shots i don't think that usage needs to go up and then in quinn snyder's system i'll clarify i'll clarify what i mean by that is just that who you pick to build around him is very very different with those two roles and it could be opportunity based you know just who's the best guy that wants to take utah's money but if you see mitchell as more of a ball dominant player you pick something different around him. yeah and i think we we do see that and rubio has one more year on his contract you know i'm not saying they necessarily have to move him and also quinn snyder's system is more egalitarian than nearly any other in the league with the amount that they move the ball around the number of pick and rolls that they run with various guys on the team dante exum you know he was going to be another one of those guys we're going to use one of our favorite phrases lately which is not really a favorite because it's kind of a bad thing but we've been using a lot is lost season for the 22 year old but he really has been awesome since coming back from that shoulder injury and given them everything they could have wanted as a backup point guard a lot of burst off the dribble has been super encouraging it has been more driving to the rim getting to the free throw line than shooting threes but that's okay if you can create separation it it works and i'm still intrigued by exton's defensive potential there's a lot to like there this is his age 22 season he's he's been better defensively this year than he was last year when i felt that he had really taken a step back from his rookie year and then of course he missed that whole second year with the acl so exum one of the just challenging questions of this free agency is he'll be a restricted guy is anybody going to to roll the dice on him i could also see utah just trying to do right by him and just saying hey we we want you back let's maybe maybe do more money for fewer years something like that but i i still like him if he can never be on the court i think he's a wonderful fit for what they're doing he does play a very aggressive style what's really changed for him this year where he has a, in 140 minutes he has a 21.9 per and this is a guy who basically his rookie year was asked to do absolutely nothing and couldn't hit a three the biggest thing has been he's just been getting to the rim at will and he started finally to put together some dribble moves like he just faked tyler ennis out of his shorts last night with an inside out dribble in a semi-transition situation and got right to the rim for a layup he's just been more aggressive you mentioned that he's getting fouled a lot because he just attacks the glass so hard and just puts pressure on the defense his burst in a straight line i mean that was the thing that so intrigued us but i mean i remember in the draft process when i watched him i'm like this guy at six five he could be like the quickest guy with the ball in his hands of any six five player in the nba like he really has that level of burst uh i'm not i wouldn't i'd have to do that analysis over again four years later now but it still is very notable and now shooting 57 percent of his shots at the rim and hitting 67 percent of those his finishing it had been an issue before his floater game it has improved although again we're not talking about a ton of attempts here he's six out of 12 uh and at the rim he's 20 out of 30 so not enough to really talk about here still absolutely zero game off the dribble on long twos and if he does go for a three when the defense goes under it takes him forever to load up not a guy that you, th- you know maybe he can get to be a passable shooter probably better 
better off the catch than off the dribble he's just not really that comfortable pulling off the dribble at this point that's the next step for him as, as it has been for a while but just for him to be able to be coming in and being effective getting a, a high usage creating shots at the basket has been very encouraging what do you think a potential fit between he and mitchell would be like in the future what does that combo look like i think defensively it's good offensively yeah, yeah I, i'm not super enthused about it offensively just because exum's shot is not something that i trust and both of those like i mean exum i see him more as a one slash two defender with mitchell it would be great if you believe that he can be a point guard to do something more in line with some of the other more avant-garde teams and get somebody who's small forward size if possible and just switch everything two through four maybe and mitchell can get into that mix when he when when possible and xm i don't see him as having the strength and the build to really go into that realm so i think of him more as a piece of the puzzle if the jazz keep him rather than you know like a potential starter but help that that'd be great if, if he can reach that level i'd be thrilled maybe you could work together you do need multiple guys who can attack off the dribble joe ingles is a good spot up guy it becomes a little tougher with Derek favors if he's going to be around but and exum is probably even a worse shooter than ricky rubio at this point rubio at least is a guy when he's wide open can make shots he's probably rubio even is more comfortable taking a long two than exum right now but maybe exum can get there i mean at 21 and 22 those guys would have some time to figure it out and especially if exum could be brought in on a, a pretty reasonable contract as a restricted free agent but that burst is there man and he also he shows some very creative passing he is a great alley-oop thrower uh he'll throw it higher over the defense he, he's got a nice chemistry with gobert's turnovers are down a little bit although it's probably something that will always be a problem for him you would imagine but i mean the guy has so much potential you just don't get that type of a talent um is he gonna work out to be like some star you know the odds are against that at this point and, and there's the health issue too but very encouraging finally to see this level of play from exum royce o'neill is another one of these guys that the jazz just kind of found and he's been a rotation player at age 24 uh defends pretty well got good size and strength for the position at the three that's all you can hope for a guy that they basically just found for free and even more strikingly two more years non-guaranteed i the last year might be structured as team option but then even after that because of the lack of nba experience he'll be restricted at the end of that so they basically have a, a valuable player for them for for two more years on top of this and i love royce o'neill's defense i think he could be a piece i don't think his offensive game is developed enough to become a starter but as just a hey throw this guy out there for key defensive possessions be in the rotation and be a kind of i've used the term counterweight before be that kind of counterweight for teams i love having that player in a rotation and o'neill has been shockingly adept at it now the three-pointer is going to be the big problem for me shot it well early has really been off of late i was a little harsh on him i i tweeted during the their game against the warriors that it was a tough lineup with donovan mitchell and no one else who could dribble out there o'neill actually has shown a little bit more facility see him get into the lane get guys on his back just a little bit and score a floater on occasion in the last couple of games the jazz games that i've watched so that was probably a little harsh on him do you want him to be a main guy handling the ball no but he's been able to at least do a little bit of something and 
another guy who's just a, a great coup financially for the jazz he's under contract totally non-guaranteed until the league-wide cutdown date for the minimum each of the next two years and then they would have restricted free agent rights on him tony bradley the jazz traded the pick that became kyle kuzma so they could get him that was a little weird i don't wasn't sure that like were the lakers really gonna take tony bradley we need to move up to get him uh what, what was the exact uh i'm trying to remember the exact configuration there the, that pick got traded so many times yeah okay so so yeah the lakers actually they swapped it with the lakers and then uh to the lakers pick kuzma 27th uh with what had originally been the jazz pick they went back one one pick and picked bradley and he was another one of these guys good in the statistical translations slow afoot great rebounder they talk about really liking his second jump but just not a guy who really sticks out as a modern player and you've got rudy gobert they've got favors they had epe yudo backup center is an easy position to fill i would have liked for them to go with another direction of a player who at least could work out in a modern way he's spent nearly the entire season in the g league only 29 minutes at the big league level 24 games 710 minutes for the salt lake stars and he's been productive 21 per 611 true shooting rebounded the way you would expect someone like him to 13 offense rebound rate that's always a problem for me when these big seven footers who are on these contract you know rookie deals who are playing in the g league like don't even get any offensive rebounds because it's not a big league um so he's kind of done what he's supposed to do hopefully he's gained some experience but we'll check in with him again in summer league but it's really just me a question of whether he can be good enough defensively i'll I'll clean up the the stuff that happened at the end of the draft just a little bit it's it's actually more interesting than that so the jazz never had the kuzma pick the lakers moved moved into that pick because of the the trade with mozgov and and d'angelo russell it was fortuitous for them because the jazz the what happened then was that they had 27 and 28 together oh and they picked kuzma and then the jazz gave up 42 to move from 38 sorry from 30 to 28 and take tony bradley they jumped the spurs i think they were worried about the spurs taking tony bradley and that 42 pick that became thomas bryant it wasn't you know there were some productive players taken after that dylan brooks Sterling brown among them but that was really the structure of it was that they didn't want tony bradley they didn't think he was going to fall to 30 so they gave up 42 to move up and get him. yeah thanks for reminding me of that of course they had 30 because they had golden state's pick last year from uh the andre iguodala sign and trade way back in uh 2013 is how they got that pick um but yeah so because i i remember there was something about it that i didn't really care for the idea of like oh we're moving up and we're moving up to draft tony bradley didn't really make a lot of sense to me especially because he was, wasn't someone who really stood out and, and it'll be i mean th- you'd have to say thomas bryant is probably at a more promising year than bradley although bradley is younger than he is um i think that could probably you can call it quits here that was uh that was a good run uh reasonable amount of alacrity for us there uh, i wasn't wasn't quite an hour 11 on the kings and sons but uh you know these teams didn't have like eight first rounders on their <laughs> on their rosters either yeah i think the volume is what takes us a lot longer rather than you know because we can we still talk about Jokic and all the, the high-end guys a lot but it wasn't like oh you have to talk about you know chris bender all, all those you know all the kind of like and especially because those guys had high pedigrees too so it's like well you feel like you have to talk about it. i mean bender was taken third overall chris 
Chris was taken eighth, I believe. Like you have to t- have to talk about those guys. And then these teams, it was more like the Thunder, you know, one or two guys. All right, that will do it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back and do our awards on Sunday night. So stay tuned for that. That'll be a fun one. Spend some time getting all that together. Uh, MVP is going to be pretty obvious, I'm guessing, but a, a lot of other ones uh, like Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, I mean, those are going to be really difficult to figure out. I haven't actually sat down and done my final mm-hmm. bit of work for that yet. So, uh, well, and yeah. one thing I'll say on that because I enjoy this as an exercise is that we do the full ballot, and sometimes just as a thought challenge, those can be really interesting. So it's like, okay, you know, thinking about who, well, how does the rest of your MVP go? I mean, some people, oh, if it's you know X player at number one, but I had I was thinking about let's say let's call it the three and four spots on my MVP ballot. Just thinking about that was was challenging, and, and I really enjoyed it. And working through all of the other awards, I, I had some fun. I did executive of the year today. That's going to be just it's going to be a challenge. I'm enjoy I've enjoyed working through it. Likewise, all right. We'll uh, talk to you guys on Sunday. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.